Swung on and lined to deep left field. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Aaron Judge hit a line drive. Home run to left. A Judgean blast. All rise. Here comes the Judge. Another judgment day. I just spent like the last 10 or 15 minutes trying to uh, do something that should have taken me two or three. I'm using some uh, some spare equipment here today, uh, just trying to get an intro on what should be a really good podcast. Uh, Don is not here this week. He had something to do at uh, Molly's school, uh, but I think starting next week he should be here every week, and we're going to record uh, our rap on uh, on Wednesdays. Uh, and get that done on Wednesdays, and hopefully get the podcast up earlier in the week. Today, great show, though. Really excited about it. Uh, Kevin Brandt, uh, who first came into our lives on The Real World in Chicago, uh, the season of Anissa, and uh, they were in the house during 9-11. Uh, Kyle made his debut on the podcast right around this time last year, and of course today he hosts Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. Uh, and he's going to join us. We had a really fun uh, conversation earlier today. Uh, after that, I'll be back, and uh, we'll do a really quick book club update. Got some things going uh, on for the book club. Uh, and then after that, Jeff Passan uh, will join us, as he often does at this time of year, to preview the baseball playoffs, which are moving at a rapid pace uh, as we record, as I record this right now. The Red Sox are already down. Uh, two games to zero, and the Yankees down one to zero are in an eight to eight tie in the eighth inning against the Indians. So the American League playoffs, uh, before this podcast even goes up, might have two teams uh, down two games to zero already. Uh, with that said, I should hurry uh, since since we're up against it a little bit. Of course, after passing, I'll be back then to close the show off uh, as I as I always do with one last thing. Uh, So with that said, uh, let's take a quick break and come right back uh, with Kyle Brandt. All right, our next guest is from Chicago. And he is a graduate of Princeton. Uh, he joined us as a cast member of The Real World before becoming a, sport, a soap star, a producer of The Jim Rome Show, and today the host of Good Morning Football. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Kyle Brandt. What is up, Kyle? Thank you so much for, uh, for coming back on. How's it going, buddy? To be unsung would really bring you down. All the wet eyes would never suit you. Can we talk about some helmet, please? Yes. Because you know they're the biggest helmet fan in the world. I had an idea for you. I think you should do a new podcast. You're doing well with this one. Very ambitious, very earnest. But I think you should do a podcast, and it should be called uh, Football Helmet. And it's just talk about football. And then you also talk about the band Helmet. 
because those are, that's you, man. That is the cross-section. I think you can be very different with that, and I would always be a guest on Football Helmet, the podcast. How awesome was it that, like, two weeks after you were on the first time, the news broke of the new Helmet album, and I was tagging you on everything. <laughs> all that Helmet news that came out, I was tagging you. Did you listen to it at all? You know, um, I did not. I did uh, not hear the new Helmet. I'm a big fan of the song Unsung. I don't know if you know that. Oh. But um, <laughs> how was the new Helmet? How, how was the new Helmet? The new Helmet was a very solid record. I'd put it in the middle of their, I think they got about, nine or so records now it'd be in the middle somewhere but okay it, but so i mean at this point late in the game you would kind of take that right because sometimes the bands drop off yeah did you ever see the, the they made a really great documentary about rush i think it's called uh all the world's a stage and jack black is one of the guys who's interviewed uh quite a bit in it and he makes this amazing yeah. amazing analogy about bands he said every band has a a ketchup bottle. And usually when they make their first record, the ketchup is flowing out the like at the at the best pace. And he's like, and some bands they can flip that ketchup bottle over and over again and the ketchup just keeps flowing. But some bands they flip it over once, all the ketchup's out and that's gone, you know? So I think right now yeah. I think right now Helmet is in a position where their ketchup bottle they got about a third of it left, probably. Wow. It's interesting because I I feel like Tenacious D did not get a lot of ketchup out of the bottom of that bottle. You know, I love right. Tenacious D, but I feel like we haven't heard from them in a while. I don't know. Sometimes I listen to bands where they have the, the squeeze bottle, and then at the end of it, it's just like a bunch of fart sounds, you know, when they're trying to get the music out. <laughs> exactly. Um, that was exactly that point. Hear that you know what I did? Yeah, I hear that, man. You know what I did last night, music-related, that was amazing, is I went to see the new Pearl Jam documentary called Let's Play 2. Uh, oh, about the Cubs? Oh, uh, them playing at Wrigley? Yes, it is awesome. It is awesome. Did you say you went to see it? Is that, is that a theater? I, I've fallen off. Like, I don't... I, I Obviously, Pearl Jam's my favorite band ever, but I, I don't follow, like, the right Twitter accounts or anything that would tell me about that documentary. That's the theaters? Yeah, it's... I'm sure in New York, you could probably go see it every day of the week right now. In Buffalo, it literally yeah. played one day at one time, yesterday at 7 p.m. So, and you were there. And me and my brother went, and it was an awesome film. You're a Cubs guy, right? You are a Cubs fan? Yeah, I mean, I'm a Cubs guy. I'm a Pearl yeah. guy. Oh, I saw you, them at Wrigley probably three years ago, yeah. Yeah, you would absolutely love it. Okay, I'm into it. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously was all over the, the PJ20 documentary when that came out. But, yeah. uh, I don't know, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to get to movies right now. I, want, I haven't even seen It. I want to go see It. And, like, uh, you know, the only time we have away from the kids, I don't exactly want to sit in the dark for two hours with my wife. And, right. Uh, so, well, <laughs> times have changed, my friend. Well, you, you, you'd spend a couple hours in the dark with your wife, just not in a movie theater. I just, I just said I don't want to sit. Oh, right. Well, set, I mean, set, maybe okay. change it up and right. for a while, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a different conversation. Uh, here's the cool thing about this documentary. On, I believe, the 13th, it is on Fox Sports 1 after Game 1 of whatever uh, playoff series they're hosting at the time. Oh, so, so you, you, how excited is Joe, is Joe Buck to be like, 
That's the game, folks. And now we have a very special documentary yeah. about my friend Eddie Vedder, Jeff Heyman, Stone Gossett. That's going to be great for him. Yeah, Buck is pumped. Buck was just on. We all are, my friend. Buck was just on Stern uh, last week or two weeks ago. Did a really good job. I texted him, and he was like, he was all fired up. So it's good to be Je- it's good to be Joe Buck. Which, I think. Did you bring that up just to see texted Joe Buck? No, no, no. Come on, or, or you te- no, not at all. Texted Joe Buck or you texted Howard? <laughs> yeah, I text Howard. I, I have I have a direct line to uh, to Howard at all times. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I text with uh, I bet I bet Jarek. <laughs> I used to text with Hank, but he's dead. So. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Re- Eric's a midget too. Oh, yeah, the actor. I'm sorry. Yes, rest in peace to all the uh, fallen whackpackers. Um. So I'm fired up to have you back. I listened to you on Train a Show the other day. You did awesome. Uh, unfo- that was fun. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, you guys did really good. Let's talk about the show for a minute because it's a year old. Uh, I, I I was going through my timeline the other day and I saw a tweet that said, like last week was the highest rated week uh, for the um, for the show. I'm at a point in my life where, especially this season, I'm watching the Saints game. I'm shutting the Saints game off and I'm not watching any other football stuff. Except Good Morning Football because it doesn't it doesn't do the things that turns me off from the other shows. Uh, why do you think you guys have been able to? Uh, what do you attribute the ratings bump, uh, the the positive energy around the show? Uh, what what have you guys tapped into? What what are you uh, what are you most excited about uh, in terms of uh, the progress here year in? It's a great question, but I respectfully, I think we're burying the lead a little bit. What I want to hear from you, what are the things that we don't do that bother you from other shows? What is it that we're not doing that you're not missing? I want to hear that Okay. Well, one is, it's not, it's not about hot takes. Unless, right. unless you specifically clarify it or something. Like if it's a segment, you know, it's a... A point. It's it, it's it's so anti like the Bayless type shows, you know. That's that's one thing. Uh, two, uh, it, it's got a vibe that feels really age appropriate to me, it do- and fan appropriate to me. It doesn't feel like it's targeting someone who knows less about football than me or more than football about me. Uh, it feels it feels right in that sense. Uh, there's a lot, it's fun. Uh, sometimes I think these shows about football forget that football is really fun. Uh, it's fun. And then the last thing would be, uh, the politics that have, uh, overwhelmed the game so far this season are appropriately covered. It's not overwhelming. And when it is discussed, it's fair and appropriate, in my opinion. So those would be the reasons. Those are good reasons. Um, you know what it is, man? And I'm, I'm going to try to talk about this thematically as I, as I can. We're given a lot of freedom, a lot of it, creative freedom from and the NFL Network and Embassy Row, and we rarely, rarely, if ever, do things on the show that all four of us are not excited to do. 
um, we kind of do what we're interested in doing. And I don't think that's true for a lot of shows. You, the, it's formatted, and the producers are choosing the topics and the creative, and, you know, it's the host's job to go out there and execute them. Um, and most of the time, we, we want to have fun. It, it's, not, it's not just that, like, yeah, football should be fun. And I, I, I see glimpses of these other shows, and I feel like you tune into, like, a funeral or something, and yep. it's like, Everyone looks, everyone looks upset. They have these like ashen looks on their faces, and I'm not even talking about stuff like the national anthem. Or I'm talking about like they're talking about the who's who's going to win the NFC West, and it's like it's very serious, and everyone seems very angry. And there is, it seems, you know what it is like. I see shows that just seem joyless, and I don't think that you want that as a sports fan. And it sounds corny, but I think now more than ever. When you turn on your sports show, you want like, let's have some good cheer here, man. Let's have some jokes. Let's talk about how cool it is to watch this incredible athletic specimen like Julio Jones make a touchdown. That's awesome. So let's have fun with that. And, you know, like today, I, I, just, I just got off the set. And we get in in the morning. We're talking about the production meeting. We're talking with our producers to do a fantastic job. And we're going to, it's great. The Bucks Patriots last night, this is kind of cool, crazy. And the, the Patriots and their stakes, are they going to lose? Are the Bucks like, are they going to really come out of the shallow end of the pool and really matter? We talk about that. And then, you know, there's this conversation about Cam Newton's apology. And we have to run the video. It's like, I don't, I don't want to belabor that. I, I understand it's really important. And this is an MVP of the league who stepped in and is losing sponsors. But I am not going to sit there segment after segment and break down every nuance of Cam's apology and what he did and what right. is his motivation. And, but he didn't mention this, and he should have. I just, I'm not interested in that. I, I don't care that. But you know what? We got Packers Cowboys this weekend. I'm interested in that. I, I'm interested in uh, that Doug Martin looked good last night. I genuinely am. I'm interested in that. So we hit it because I feel like it's, you, you should do it professionally and responsibly because it's that big of a story, and, you know, you got to – Megan Kelly is opening her show talking about Cam Newton. So we should talk about it too. But I just don't want to sit there, dude, and be all very serious and look to the camera and have my eight-minute monologue that can get tweeted out about how Cam Newton, this is unacceptable. I'm just not going to do that. So uh, if that works for us, that's good. And if people like it, that's good. And if it doesn't work for us, then, then we're not going to work because none of us want to do that. Yeah, I think almost everything you said there – Almost is it? Almost is what I. You hit on almost all the things that I had initially said. Draw me to the show. I mean, this might be a little bit too technical of a question, and you can say if it is. But do you think the do you think the fact that the show is produced by someone independent of the network uh, gives you more freedom than if the show was, you know, specifically? produced by the NFL, do you think there'd be more of a more of a big brother aspect to it? Like do you think that gives you guys an advantage? I, I think not only do I think it's too technical, I think that's an insightful question. And here's the deal with good morning football. Uh, the NFL network uh, had tried some morning programming before. One of the biggest challenges for it honestly was the ridiculous time zone thing. I mean you're having people and hosts and producers and stuff who are getting to work, like, at midnight, or, you know, they're right. going to bed at 5 p.m. or something. I know it's, it's stupid. So not only did they take it to the East Coast, the NFL, who maybe is not necessarily risk-adverse, especially with their programming, said, 
let's hire this guy, Michael Davies, and his company, Embassy Row, and let's do something outside the box. And that's such a stuffy term. But what I mean about that, let's do something a little risky, a little creative. And, you know, Embassy Row, if anyone's not familiar with them, this is the company that, that produces What's What Happens Live with Andy Cohen. I mean, you know, it's, it's not exactly uh, Steve Sable, NFL Films, conservative NFL programming, or traditional NFL programming. So they said, let's hire this uh, creative sort of genius in Michael Davies. And, and on top of that, let's hire some, like a wacko group of hosts that you don't really know and have never met each other and, frankly, might not even be qualified. And let's just see if it works. So they took a huge risk, man. So, yes, I think that is part of it because it went outside of the NFL network. And, listen, we're 3,000 miles away from the network. We're, we are across the country. Those places they do total access and all the other great shows in the network we're on the other side of the country with uh, different producers, different everything, and I think it is different. I absolutely do, and I think it behooves us because the rest of the stuff is great, and it's flagship, and it gives the NFL people what they want. But they tried something different, man, and I, so this show could have been a disaster, right. an absolute disaster. People tuning in and said, what is this idiocy? Who are these people? Uh, I think I know Nate Burleson. He was my wide receiver three in fantasy like eight <laughs> years ago. And uh, I've seen Peter Schrager uh, on uh, Fox. Kay Adams, I think I saw her online doing fantasy. And Kyle, I don't know, Kyle, who, who is this? Who is this moron? So it could have been that. It genuinely could have. Um, and thankfully, thank God, it, it sort of worked. Um, and they took a risk, and it, it's God bless them for it. So what is Anissa like in real life? That, that's, What's it like in real life? I can't hear you. <laughs> no, I said, so what is Anissa like in real life? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's, you know, I haven't seen Anissa in a long time, my friend. But I, I, you know me. I am very open to talking about that uh, any time. If anybody's not, if anybody doesn't understand what the hell he's talking about, I was on The Real World. That's not a joke. And Anissa was one of my cast members, and she was uh, a sweetheart. I loved Anissa. Right. And, and I was making a joke because... Uh... Uh, that was maybe too inside of a joke for anyone who didn't hear Kyle on uh, Train Us podcast. But uh, um, you said something else that uh, in that answer that you know this is just a little silly podcast. But one thing that I always try to do is stuff that's interesting to me. You know, uh, yeah. if if it's not interesting to me, I I don't see any point in uh, in trying to. In, in trying to uh, to cover it or to talk about it or to talk to someone who's not interesting to me. Um, and we have gotten uh, an email here or there from a listener who said, how did you do a podcast this week and uh, not talk about, you know, whatever? And I always write back and just say, you know, I, I just I'm not interested in that that much. And I don't think I can bring anything to it because of that. And uh, y- you mentioned that. How important do you think? Um, enthusiasm about because obviously when you're covering the NFL, you can you can go so many different ways. How important do you think would you put that in terms of uh, the success of the show and, and focusing on that idea? Like, hey, let's do the things that that we're interested in. Is, is that is that number one? Is that in the middle, or you know, is that am I overrating it? No, it's really big, man. It's it's hard to fake that, man. If if you're not into the American League pennant race, but uh, it, it dictates that you talk about that on your sports show, it's shallow. It's 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 superficial. If you watch our show, you can hate our show. You, you could think it's, it's idiotic. 
the one thing you can't say about our show is that it doesn't have energy. It's got a lot of energy because we're always excited what we're talking about. And sometimes, frankly, that's because in the meeting before the show, we shoot down a lot of stuff. And I mean that like, nah, not into that. You know, Peter Schrager is an extremely opinionated guy and a very compelling guy and a very, very energetic guy. And there is no way in hell he is going to sit there and talk about some, you know, in the, in the opening of the show, as we call it, the 7A, and it's the off season, and there's not a lot going on. He's not going to say, who are the remaining unsigned free agents? There's some guys that, you know, are, <laughs> are D-level names. No, we're going to have to come up with something more creative than that. And I think that's the difference with us. We, we're always insistent that every segment is the best segment we've ever done. And it's impossible, of course, but, uh, man, we always talk about stuff that we want to talk about in in 99% of the cases that only 1% being if there's something that is mandated network wide that we should hit and we do it and we do it frankly sometimes as quickly as we can so you grew up in Chicago you went to Princeton and then you went out west yep. you've been in New York for about yep. a year now what is keeping you busy in the city like what have you enjoyed what 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 part of like New York City life uh, have you embraced, enjoyed, disliked? Like, tell me about your year in the city a little bit. You know, it's so funny because you keep using the words in the city. I, I couldn't be less in the city. You should see <laughs> me, man. I get in the, I get it. I mean, I live in the suburbs outside the city in Westchester, okay. which I call, I know I call it. it's Strollerville. It's uh-huh. Strollerville, man. Yep. I, I, it's the, the only people who don't have a stroller are the tryhards who have the double stroller, and I am one of them. <laughs> so, listen, my experience in New York City, I get in when, at 4.30 in the morning. The second the show's over, I walk across the city to go to Grand Central Station. I get out of the city. I'm right now, as I'm, as I'm speaking, I'm driving through Strollerville. Um, so I have such a – I'm so green still in New York City. I mean, I'm the guy who will go to the place from Seinfeld, like the soup Nazi place, and get the soup. And not only get the soup, like take a picture and send it to my friends in other cities that I'm there. Um, you know, the, the pizza thing comes up all the time. And as a guy who was just born and bred on deep dish Chicago style, it is my mother's milk. And I'm supposed to, you know, hate this New York pizza, like the Montagues and the Capulets or something. The New York pizza is incredible. I, I, I fold, I fold the slice. I, I, I enjoy it. It's, it's fantastic. And it's like, don't you think, and especially in a time like this in the world, can we all not just get along? Do you have to declare loyalty to deep dish and thin crust? Because I sure in hell am not. I'm enjoying the pizza here, and I'm enjoying the suburbs. But other than that, you're not going to see me, man, living in Brooklyn or, you know, riding the subway and having my monthly Metro card or whatever the hell they have. I'm not the city guy. Remember that the story about the, the city slicker mouse and the, the country mouse? Yeah. I am the uh, country mouse in my... North Face Fleece with the, my uh, coffee going to my gym in the suburbs with my three-year-old. That's me. So you haven't, like, gone to a Billy Joel show at the Garden or gone to a Broadway play nope. or none of those kinds of New York things just to do them? You know what I did? I, I should, by the way, I would like to do both those things. Don't, don't mistake me not doing them with me having some sort of disdain for them. If anything, I'm jealous of anyone who can do that. Right. My deal is more I'm up here and I got two kids and, and don't have a lot of babysitter deals. So yeah. uh, you know what I did do one night? My wife, Brooke, and I went into the city and we went to Nobu. Nobu, yeah. <laughs> the place that you hear about, you know, like Stern's I talked about Nobu yeah. and yeah. it's like, 
where, you know, like the celebrities. Are there. So we went to Nobu and, you know, we just noshed on some, you know, $26 sashimi or whatever the <laughs> hell it was. And uh, we got dressed up and, you know, we went down to, we saw, and then we do just these hilariously touristy things. Like we went to the Wall Street Bowl and uh, that type of stuff. So I would think Nobu was probably as New york as we got. We, you know, we haven't done the Dear Evan Hansen thing. We didn't. We haven't even seen Hamilton, which is you know so 2016, if not 2015. Oh yeah. So um, I, I don't know. I'm on my hands and knees, man, doing uh, Bob the Builder and Paw Patrol up here uh, in Pleasantville. So I'm not terribly New York, man. You're not. You're not, you're not talking to to Spike Lee and John Leguizamo and Michael Rappaport. Those guys, they're New York. I, I got nothing. Have you been to one of the the sports venues? Have you been to Yankee Stadium or City Field or? Madison Square Garden. I went to. For a game. I went to. Met, I went to MetLife, okay. um, which is technically in the Garden State and right. like way out of Manhattan. And there wasn't even a game going on. I went there. The Jets had this like um, called like uh, what was it called? Grand opening or something for the season where they had people come by and there's Jets, you know, VIPs like Bart Scott is there and they they're so the Jets deal was in the preseason was they were like they were unveiling all this incredible stadium food like they were gonna have. The artisan chicken sandwich and the sushi and the s'mores empanada and it also felt uh, it felt like very thinly veiled makeup about you know Jets fans we very well may go zero and sixteen this year but come out to the stadium so you could have the sashimi avocado spicy wrap or whatever the hell it is it felt like that at the time now as we're recording this. When it, their Jets are two and two, and they actually yeah. look pretty good. But I went out to that thing, and I had this. And we did a field piece there for Good Morning Football, and I shot it. And frankly, that's what I was thinking the whole time. I'm like, this is just the Jets saying, "Please come to our games. We have cool food." But it turns out they have some pretty cool players too. Now we had children at almost exactly the same time in 2016, nice. right? I mean, we uh, our kids are days or weeks apart or whatever. Uh, you're, yeah, yeah. You're you're in the second go around, and I and I wonder because I'm I am a one and done dad. We're, we're uh, I've already uh, I've already been uh, stripped of uh, some of my uh, manhood by uh, by the doctor to ensure that we're one and done. Stripped of your manhood? Some of it. Just, they don't cut it off, right? No, 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 no. It's You still got. Yeah, just just a very. Uh, small... So hold on a second. Yeah. Why, I'm sorry, I, I'm jumping all over you about your manhood. You can see where my interests are. Um, <laughs> why, uh, why, why were you so emphatic about one and done? What's okay, on? a few reasons. Uh, one, we're old first-time parents. You know, we're 36 years old, and I don't want to uh, be taking prom pictures or walking down the aisle with, a, with uh, my second or third child uh, at age 71. Uh, that would be one reason. Okay. Uh, another reason is... Uh, I'm not a very healthy guy. I have had almost all of my colon taken out uh, at this point. I've battled uh, health problems since 2003, and I do have a fear of uh, while things are stable right now, uh, I do have a fear of if things went worse, I don't want to leave my poor wife with uh, a clan of uh, people that she would have to uh, take care of without me. So that that's another reason. Uh, and three, and this is probably the most selfish, is we have a very comfortable life right now with one. She fits into the budget very well. Uh, we can still 
uh, do the things that we enjoy uh, with our friends or with our family. Uh, so it just works for us financially, socially. Uh, that that would be a distant third reason, but uh, our age uh, and our um, are my uh, my paranoia about what could happen to my health and my uh, desire to not have to have more than one devastated child that their father is no longer around. Wow, see, I'm not, we got all heavy. That's, that's strong stuff, man. And I, I don't blame you. You know what my reaction to all that is? Is, is, is good for you. Not, uh, oh, no, you should have a kid. No, 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 that's good for you. I, I don't, these, you know, I see people all the time, they just, they, they just keep having kids, and they want more kids and more kids, and they just, oh, I love it. I really wanted a big family. I'm like, well, you really want to have five kids? Can you really financially support five kids? What's, are you going to be able to provide for those kids? I, I, I very, very strong believer that this is the biggest decision of your life. It's bigger than who you marry. It's bigger than anything because having a kid is the only thing you do in life that you cannot undo. You can get out of pretty much anything else. You cannot get out of the kid. So I don't like any sort of haphazardness whatsoever. I want, I think having procreating should be the most tactical thing you do. So I respect you for it, man, because I know people, and I'm not talking about, you know, celebrities or football players, Antonio Camardi, all that dumb old joke. <laughs> I'm talking about people. I, I know, uh, like, people who uh, I went to college with who they got five kids, and I, I know how they're doing professionally. It, it's not terribly well, and there's not a lot of prospects coming up. So your health, finances, all that stuff is very important, dude. I'm glad you did that. Respect. Yeah, I mean, we we uh, you know, we want to make sure we can give our our daughter, or you know, or if it would if it would have been more, we wanted to make sure we could give them a great life. And we know that with one child, we can, you know, and with two, it would have been tighter. With three, it wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been able to support. Uh, so yeah, we were we we took it seriously. Uh, we we thought about it thoroughly, and uh, as soon as she was born, and I was standing, you know, they put her in that little uh, that little. Uh, they, you know, my wife held her and then they put her in this other thing where they're like cleaning her. And I was standing there and yeah. I, I counted five fingers on the one hand. I counted five on the other. Then I looked down at her feet. I seen she had two of those. Looked like she had all the toes there. And I, 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 I seen a really good one. You know, I was like, all right, we got a good one. We're done. You know, it was yeah. like, all right, we're good. Uh, I hear you, man. How much do you miss, uh, miss the jungle? Sometimes I miss it a lot. Um, that's a good question. You know what? You came out of nowhere with that question, and no one has really asked me that question, so I'm sitting here thinking about it. Nine years on the Jim Rome show, and um, sometimes I miss Jim a little lot, like as a coworker, because it was just, we're always very relatable. Like, we always had the same sense about things. We always felt the same at the end of the week, same at the beginning of the week. Um, I miss the listeners a lot. You know, if you, if you go around Twitter a little bit, if you go around Jim Rome Twitter, the listeners of that show are hilarious. I mean, they're, I, I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot of great radio shows and, you know, whoever, if you're into Francesa or Stern or Dan Patrick or whatever it is, all great listeners. There's nothing like the Jim Rome's clones. Like, and, and they come alive on Twitter and I still get, you know, you get to put on a lot of tweet chains about different things that you're yeah. involved in or not involved. And I just sit there and I read the tweets and just laugh. You know, when I, I started doing that show, I was 20, I think 28, you know, I'm 38 now. Um, 
So I miss it a lot. I miss Jim. I miss the listeners. Um, but it also felt like this fantastic relationship I was in where it was really time. I'm like, we've, we got a lot of great memories and I got a, a box of photos that I keep under my bed and I'll always have, uh, you know, the letter that you meant me that, that sent me that one day. And, uh, but it's time to break up and go a different way. So I miss it, but not in the sense that like, Oh man, I wish I could go back. Speaking of going back, I have to circle back because I, I just highlighted my amateurism. Yeah, I asked you, uh, I brought up the, uh, the father, uh, us having similarly aged children not to, uh, not to, not to, uh, open up an opportunity for me to go on about my family planning, but for me to ask you, uh, from father to father, uh, since I am a, a one and done guy, is there any advice you can give me that you've learned the second time? that I won't have the opportunity to learn uh, since there won't be a second time. That's why I brought it up. Um, you know, the second time, don't worry about where you're not going to have the second time. you got a kid. You know how many people want to have kids that can't? Um, this, I, I try to tell myself this all the time. Just stop looking at your phone so damn much. I, 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 I hate it. I, uh-huh. I find myself in these situations that if, if I was a character in a movie and they showed the scene that I was performing in, the audience would hate me. I'm, I'm sitting there in my kid's playroom, like my son Calvin, this great kid, three and a half years old. And he says, you know, Dada, will you play cars with me? I said, of course. And I get down and we're sort of playing cars. And then I'm playing cars with my left hand. And in my right hand, I'm literally looking at my phone. And you know what the worst part is? It's not as if I'm reading some important email or something. I'm just like a fiend, like a moron. Right. And I have to tell myself sometimes, I'm like, just put down your phone. This is this is the this is the, this tiny window in this little boy's life where he's going to say, Dada, can you play cars with me?" So, I, I, we all have cell phone addiction. We all probably have some degree of social media addiction. Just put down your phone. You know, it's, it, that's the best example I can give, and that works for also. It's also applicable to uh, to wives, uh, who, and also uh, that works as well. They like when you put down your phone and they care. Oh, and I thought you were wait, saying. Like, that- I don't know about you, but. I thought you were no, saying no, no, put, put your down, wife put down. down. Put down your phone. Oh, okay. Your phone. All right. No, you can lay her down sometimes. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, hopefully, not put, no, no, don't put her down. No. Right. No, uh, to put the phone down, man. Because my my son now is to the point where he will say like, "Dada, get off your phone," and then you're like, "Oh God, I'm a horrible father. I'm that guy in the movie, and I'm trying not to be." You are far more known than me, so it might be different. But what is your children and social media policy? I mean, they're three and one. It's here's the thing. No, I don't since, mean like since my what, son is. Hold what? on, let me clarify. I don't mean like do you get let them like go on to it. I mean like do you post <laughs> pictures or you know? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a very strict policy for my son on social media. If, if you're going to Instagram, <laughs> just use a filter. You right. Filter, <laughs> look more handsome and a right. better angle. That's what I. My one year old, I say the same thing. Uh, no, my deal is um, I have two Instagrams. I have um. I got a like a Kyle Brandt NFL, which I just barely post to, but it's like it's public. And then I have a, another one that is just me, and it's uh, private and all that stuff. I don't tweet pictures of my kids, and it's it's weird, man. Like there's certain certain people in TV or media or whatever that are just all in on it. Like they just say these are my kids, I love them, you can see them, I'm not worried about it. There's other people, absolutely none. And then certain people, um, like they'll tweet pictures of their kids, but only like the back of their heads, like looking at something like they right. tweet their faces. Yeah, I've seen that. So I know they tell you that there's things about that, that it's dangerous, that it makes your kids targets. I don't even know if that's what it is for me. I, I don't not tweet my kids pictures out of danger. I just, it's just sort of personal. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what kind of 
bizarre people are following me on Twitter. I don't know. I mean, I, do they really need to see my one-year-old's face? It, I'm not into that. There's a lot of people in my life who want to see my kids, but uh, some guy uh, in uh, Kalamazoo with an egg avatar and three followers, I, I'm, I don't need him to see my daughter uh, with her first birthday cake in the high chair. It, it's co- I'm cool if he doesn't see it. So I did, it's more personal safety thing. So I, I do not put their faces on social media. I uh, created a Instagram account for my daughter, uh, and it's a private account, and um, it's great because uh, you know a family from out of town or whoever can join it. You know, I'll post like a picture a week on there, and it's pretty cool because to me, it's like a uh, it's a digital photo album. That my my idea is if Instagram is still a thing when she's ten or twelve or whenever it's appropriate for a kid to, to get on Instagram, I can kind of hand it off to her, like, okay, this is yours now, and look at. It's got 10 years of your life there. And I think as far as Twitter, I think I I tweeted her picture a couple of times. And one time I tweeted her picture. You know how uh, we do this silly thing when our kids are zero where every month we take a picture of them like, hey, they're one month and there's like a one block or something or, you know, you've seen these, right? You know what I'm talking about as they go from. Yeah, totally. yeah, Yeah. So when my daughter turned 10. I sat her on the couch and gave her the Pearl Jam's 10 and I put it in her hand and I took a picture of it and I tweeted that and I tagged Pearl Jam and said, hey, at Pearl Jam, my daughter is this many months old today and uh, they retweeted it and she was uh, internet famous for like five minutes. It got like, uh, you know, 2,000 likes and maybe 100 retweets or something. So, And your daughter is like, you know... Oceans just doesn't quite do it for me. It's a little <laughs> bit of a letdown That's after first, Jeremy. I just I don't know. Oceans is not there. The first song I ever heard was Oceans live. That was my first. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was my first song uh, ever. So that was the first Pearl Jam song you heard. Oceans it live. Like I mean live, like at a, at a show, like at the show. Oh yeah, they open with that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's the first one I ever heard. The first song I ever heard by them at all was I'm sure live. I'm sure. Because I think for me it was Jeremy. Okay. Because um, I remember the video came out and like that was MTV was huge then and I don't know what I was I was in maybe eighth grade, um, but uh, yeah I mean the video and I, it was just the video was so cool and so dark and so scary when you're 14 like I was into that stuff you know and I I've been listening to a lot of uh, Injustice for All Metallica it's a very dark album and so when I saw that video I'm like wow this dude in this flannel shirt like he's kind of crazy here he's making these weird faces and this <laughs> strobe light and. Uh, He's looking up like the devil or something. I think that kid just blew his brains out in front of his class. I mean, I I kind of like this. So, I mean, it was Pearl Jam for Jeremy for me. Two quick things about Jeremy. One, did you know that that kid in the video passed away? Like Jeremy in the Jeremy video? No, he didn't kill himself in front of somebody, did he? No, he, he drowned in Puerto Rico swimming or something like that. Something bizarre. Oh, no, I, I remember when he went up um, to accept an award with Eddie at an award show. And Eddie was like, oh, it's Jeremy. He lives. And, like, they brought the kid up and everything. I did not know that he died. That sucks. Yeah, and then the other thing is... this is Did uh, Dirty Frank die? <laughs> that, I don't know. You know that Dirty Frank is a person, right? He was their, like, original bus, bus driver. driver. Yeah. Uh, hey, don't you ever condescend me on Pearl Jam knowledge. <laughs> you can you can do that on a helmet. I, I can go toe-for-toe toe with you at Pearl Jam, my friend. I've listened to Dirty Frank, like, 5,000 times. <laughs> uh, the other thing I was going to say about... Uh, Jeremy, and hopefully this isn't a condescending fact. Uh, when they played it at the 1990, <laughs> 1992 Video Music Awards, which is by far the greatest Video Music Awards of all time, uh, and if you want to go into why more, we can, but they very much wanted to play the song Sonic Reducer 
by uh, yeah, I love that. It. It's one of my favorite. Yeah, that they wanted to play that, and uh, they were uh, they were they were getting you know bullshit from MTV, and uh, everyone's like, no, you have to play Jeremy, you know, and and uh, they thought about it, and they're like, all right, we'll play Jeremy. We're gonna play it so fucking good that when we're done, you're never gonna be able to tell us what to do ever again. And I still think it's the best performance they ever made of the song. And if you watch it back at the very end, when Eddie throws the microphone down, he picks it back up. And he says, I don't need no mom and dad. He sings a line from Sonic Reducer at the very end. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh, my God. That's so cool. I did not know that. I I got to watch that on YouTube. I, I do a thing on Fridays. My rituals. I have a, a strong cocktail and then watch music videos on YouTube. So I got to watch that. Thing. Yeah. That's fun. Um, that's awesome. It's such an awesome I didn't awesome know that from the VMAs. I, I, got to go, I got to go to the VMAs once. I, you said that was the best one. Oh. I think and this occurred to me because I think I went to the worst one. I think it was in... It, and you, you might remember this. This was in 2002, and I got to go, and I had just done the MTV thing, and I was there. Jimmy Fallon hosted, which is fine, but the, Guns what's and Roses. memorable about that VMAs? Guns N' Roses, yeah. allegedly. Fat Axel. did this whole thing where it was, it, yeah, it was a surprise performance, and like Jimmy Kimmel, or Jimmy uh, Fallon, kept like teasing it throughout the show and it was like mm-hmm. oh we got a big surprise we got a big surprise and i remember the last tease he did he like came out he's like just everybody show a little patience and we're like, was like oh my god guns is rose gonna come out and at the end they lift the curtain and like fat botox axel, <laughs> yep, fat axel. comes out yeah and like this dude with the bucket head and they come out and they're singing i don't know if it was welcome to the jungle or something but, like it sounded odd and it looked weird and the whole audience was kind of a gas and you're just like <laughs> You just like where is Slash? Why is these? Why are these? This cover band with this strange, ugly woman playing uh, lead singer playing "Welcome to the Jungle." It was awful, like so disappointing and so stupid. And then from that point, it took them like another fifteen years till they finally got the band back together. So I was, I was almost traumatized. I remember I was like four seats away. They hooked up the they hooked us up with the good seats in the real world that year. I think we were high rated or something. But I was like four seats away from David Lee Roth, and I remember. He's like, he's, yeah, Dave. and I remember looking at him during the Guns N' Roses thing, and I remember like his facial expression did not change. I watched it like they <laughs> they lift the curtain, Axel runs out, starts screaming, and I look over at Diamond Dave, and he doesn't like doesn't even break his expression. Like, That's awesome. Like Dave's not impressed or something, but I think that had to be the worst one. I was so disappointed. I went to the Guns N' Roses show uh, this summer, and wow, was it good. He's no longer fat. His voice is awesome. Slash is maybe the best guitar player I've ever seen live. Yeah. Way above my expectations for what I thought it was going to be. Let me tell you real quickly. Yeah, about... I, I watched some of those on YouTube. Yeah. They, oh, they looked good. I yeah. watched when Axel did ACDC, and like, I'm like, oh, wow, this yeah. sounds good. I don't know if they're, they're messing with me with the audio or something, but if you were, I didn't go to them live. Uh, I did. One of those if, was if in Buffalo. Live, that's good. Yeah, I got lucky. One oh, of those. Oh. One of those shows in Buffalo. I, I had gotten a ticket to go see uh, regular well, ACDC with Brian Johnson. Uh, just because I had never seen them, and I wanted to get them on the list, and it got canceled, and then yeah. that was one of the ten shows that they played in the U.S. Real quickly, the '92 MTV Music Awards. Just let me read you the performers that night. All right, okay. the, the Black Crows, Bobby Brown, U2, Def Leppard, Nirvana, Elton John, Pearl Jam, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Michael Jackson, Brian Adams, In Vogue, Eric Clapton. And Guns N' Roses with Elton John when they had the dueling pianos and played November Rain. and uh, Holy shit. Yes. And that was also the night that Howard Stern did Fart Man. Uh, with Luke Perry. With Luke Perry. Yeah. 
that is the best one ever. No that's topping that. Cool that. That's that's interesting because that was '92, and it, it's funny to me to hear that Nirvana and Pearl Jam were there, and also Def Leppard was there because that was just when that thing was gassing out. Like right, Def Leppard. They were yep. probably there touring on the Adrenalized album. Yep, they I played think. Let's Get Rocked. They played Let's Get Rocked. Yeah, so, of yep. course, Let's Get Rocked was yep. huge. And this weird like a uh, Lawnmower Man animation video in that, um, and then. I remember there's like Eddie and Kurt Cobain were together downstage, yep. and, mm-hmm. and that was also when Guns N' Roses had an interaction with Nirvana backstage. And yep. I remember hearing it going as um, Courtney Love was like mouthing off to Axel, and she's sitting there with Kurt Cobain, and Axel allegedly said to Kurt Cobain, "Shut your bitch up." And Kurt Cobain <laughs> turned to Courtney Love and goes, "Shut up, bitch." I read that somewhere, like in a funny way. Like that, it cracked me up when I read it. If Thirty for Thirty was about music, this would like the '92 VMAs, which should be like their number one episode. You know what I mean? Like the stories. Great. That... I want to incorporate this somehow into our TV show. Like I want next time it's like a great team that's put together or a great game. Like I'm gonna reference the '92 VMAs somehow, and because I, I I I did not know about that lineup. I mean, if you were to power rank that, that's a whole segment. I mean, I. Don't sleep on Bobby Brown either. Like I bet you he put on a hell of a show. Yeah, he played "Humping Around," which is a, a one of his hits. I mean, and the the songs these bands played. I mean, you know, Pearl Jam played "Jeremy," Nirvana played "Lithium," uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers played "Under the Bridge," part of "Under the Bridge" and part of "Give It Away." Michael Jackson, who was live from from England, it was you know they piped him in. Uh, he black and white, uh, black or white, excuse me. Um, Tears yeah. in Heaven was the the Clapton song. I told you November Rain. I mean, just Remedy by the Black Crows, if you're into them. I mean, just... Oh, Remedy is their best song, in my yeah. opinion. I, that, that's my song. I e- love- Even better than the real thing was the uh, U2 song. Dana Carvey was the host. I know some people don't think he holds up that well, but... Uh, oh, I, I mean, listen, Dana Carvey in the early 90s was the man. Yeah, oh, he hilarious. incredible on SNL. He was Garth, obviously. I, I'm a big... Dana Carvey is top four SNL guys for me. Like, if I were to make my uh, at SNL Mount Rushmore, I would put him on there for sure. I loved Dana Carvey back in the day. This is funny, too. The The video of the year winner was Van Halen's Right Now. Um, yeah, also I, an awesome video. Yeah, I don't think uh, they have... The best new artist in a video, Nirvana, smells like Teen Spirit. Best hard rock... Video was under Sandman. That was the award that was given out when Howard came down, the Fart Man. That was the award. That was when it happened on the and show. And Metallica was on the Black Album and getting awards, and they didn't perform at that. Metallica did not perform. No. Were they? They, I'm on, they must have been touring abroad or something. No, they were there because remember, it's famous, and they talked about it on the show. Lars and Russ Metallica were really fucking pissed off at Howard. Felt like they ruined their moment. Really? Yeah, because they're like accepting. They, they had every moment. Then. They're accepting the award, and Howard's like standing on the stage blowing farts and stuff. And you know how liars can be serious. You know he's not. He doesn't strike me as all that fun. Yeah, he can be annoying too. He should have gone up and said, uh, "This is our new song, Enter Fart Man." I mean, that's how they should have done it. Right, embrace it, have fun. He didn't. So, yeah, but that there's no beating that. I mean that. That was that was the best by far. Every year that that I find out that's on on Twitter, I I publicly uh, a PSA I, I send out. Forget this show. Watch ninety two somehow instead. I love it. 
here's here's my PSA. Uh, I'm sitting in my car, and my beautiful wife Brooke just stuck her head out of the front door and put up uh, five fingers to me, which means in five minutes I have to go get my son Calvin at preschool. So let's what do we what, do we, what haven't we talked about? What's the greatest hits? What's our uh, 92 VMAs of conversations? Well, how about this? Let's wrap. I've asked you 40 minutes of co- of questions. Let's wrap. Do you have any questions for me? How about that? I'll turn it on you. Yeah. All right. So, um, is there an Oscars equivalent to the 92 VMAs? Ooh, that's a good question. I do know that in '94, when Forrest Gump won, there's a huge chunk of movies that are awesome that people think should have won instead. And also, the Goodfellas year is another year where there's a huge, a cute, like an unbelievable best picture um, uh, run that year too. Dude, you gave the right answer. It's the '94 Oscars now. I don't know about, you know, in terms of the fashion or whatever. I remember in the 80s, Cher would do some crazy stuff or in terms of whatnot. But the 94 Best Picture, I wish I knew every nominee, but I know the important ones. I'll get it for Pulp, you. Uh, Pulp Fiction was nominated. All yep. right. And they, any other year they're going to win. But they ran into a juggernaut in Forrest Gump. Also nominated for Best Picture, the Shawshank Redemption, which was in the same category. And I could have won, but no one even really knew that movie. It wasn't a massive hit in the theaters. It had this weird title, but it did get the Best Picture nom. But Forrest Gump just cleaned up everything. And I remember there was, it was kind of getting contentious because, you know, all the award shows leading up to the Oscars, Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump, deservedly so, by the way, fantastic movie that should have won. But you know how they run like the little, they, they announce the different nominees, five, you know, the five of them throughout the, the broadcast. And they'll say, one of, you know, Keanu Reeves will come up and say, this nominee is... Uh, Pulp Fiction, they show like a two-minute clip of Pulp Fiction or whatever. Mm-hmm. I remember they cut to Sam Jackson, Sam Jackson afterwards immediately, and Sam Jackson mouthed like, now that's a fucking movie. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, and I was like, yeah, because Pulp Fiction is the movie I've seen in the theater more than any other movie by far. I mean, I was in high school, and I think I saw it eight or nine times. I just kept going back because I was so blown away by what I saw. So uh, every, But at the same time, who doesn't love Forrest Gump? Who doesn't respect Forrest Gump? Forrest Gump, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, and Shawshank were the... Uh... All right, so that's funny. Quiz Show, I think, is a very good movie. It's a really well-written, directed drama, which I genuinely like. It's, every time it comes on, Ray Fiennes is awesome in that movie. Um, John Turturro, awesome in that movie. But, again, it's just... It, maybe that wins in another year. Maybe if it's up against... Uh, Traffic or whatever. No, not traffic. What was the one? Rush or Crash? Crash. Crash that yeah. the one that people didn't think for. So it's just the wrong year. I, I don't know about the, what was it? Four weddings and a funeral? Never saw that. But um, I, the rest of that year was absolutely loaded. All right. Anything else? And if not, why don't you plug everything you, you'd like to plug so the listeners can uh, find your plugs? I want you to know that I'm purposely not going to plug my Twitter. I don't believe in that. Okay. I hate. Uh, Twitter, Twitter whoring. I, I don't care if somebody follows me. If they want to, go ahead. I don't care if they do or not. I don't tweet very much. I'm an easy follow, but I'm not plugging that out of principle. But you um, will retweet this, though, right? Plug- when I when I say Kyle was on, you will retweet it, right? Yeah, sure. Okay, no, I'll tweet. That's fine. Right. I don't care. I'll tweet that. I just don't like going around uh, schlocking up my Twitter pitches. I don't care about that. Fair it's enough. Noxious. Fair um, enough. So that's my principle stand. I will though promote, however. <clears throat> uh, Oh, somebody just drove past. Uh, that's my realtor. Um, oh. I will promote Good Morning Football program on the, the network of the National Football League. It is on 
let me make sure I get this right. 7 a.m. Eastern time, 7 to 10. It also replays from 10, from to, 10 one. to 1 Eastern time. Yep. So what I'm telling you is it's on for six hours a day. I don't care if you live in uh, Estonia. You can find it, and you can find time to watch it. It's very simple. We talk a lot of football. We have a lot of fun. We don't scream at each other. We don't connect every single aspect of the show to some sort of social issue or political issue or racial issue. Uh, it's mostly um, for friends having a good time. It's all that's missing is the beer, but we might as well be at a bar. And uh, if you haven't watched it, I think you'd like it. Well, this was super fun today. We talked zero football uh, and had, had, a lot of, <laughs> had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for coming back. Uh, it's always cool when someone does it once but it's even cooler when they do it twice. So that means I didn't fuck it up too bad the first time. Not at all. I, listen, I'm going to go watch the 92 VMAs right now. That's it. I'm in. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm going to watch uh, every single musical performance over the next two hours. Thanks, buddy. All this missing was helmet, my friend. Take care. <laughs> All right, I want to thank uh, Kyle Brandt for being on the podcast today. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Kyle is a really, a really good guest. Likes to mix it up. Makes it a lot of fun for me for sure. Uh, book club. Real cool, quick update. I got a new book. Uh, it's called Slobberknocker. It's written by Jim Ross. Uh, good old JR. He's got a co-author, Paul O'Brien. My Life in Wrestling. Uh, Scott E. Williams is who he told the story to. The Forward is by Vincent K. McMahon. The Afterword by Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's a book wrestling fans have been waiting years and years for. We're going to make it the book club book of the month this month. I reached out to JR and uh, hopefully we'll be able to have him uh, sometime later in the month. So really I just wanted to quickly uh, make that update. There's not going to be a lot of me uh, today in this podcast. Uh, We're going to focus on the interviews mostly. So with that said, let's quickly... Uh, take a break and come back with Jeff Passan. All right, our next guest is from Cleveland, Ohio, and he was the first person to ever appear on this podcast. He writes about baseball for Yahoo, and he's nice enough to join us today live from National Stadium in Washington, where he waits to cover the Nats and the Cubs game one. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Jeff Passan. What's up, Jeff? How you doing, buddy? I am delightful, Steve. How are you? I love the, uh, you know, if we put all these calls we've done over the years together, I love the uh, the incredible variety of locations in which uh, we have conducted. <laughs> let, let the listeners... Well, can you... Can you, can you... Can you hear the background noise right now? Like, am I? Yeah, I there, feel like I'm underneath a speaker. Okay. Yeah, there is a very solid, uh, very solid ambient sound. It, it's got some buzz to it, though. It feels like playoffs. You know, it's like this is playoffs. I was say, I, well, it doesn't feel like baseball because it's like good hip hop. So <laughs> I'm I'm not used I'm not used to seeing that at, at a baseball stadium. But uh, apparently, whoever's picking the uh, national BT soundtrack is doing well. What is the what what is the atmosphere at the stadium? Is it a little early to be able to tell? Yeah, the atmosphere at the stadium right now is just completely freaking empty. Right, yeah, it's three uh, hours till the game. Uh, there, there's a 
there's a woman sitting next to me texting on her phone. There's uh, some security officers uh, who are wearing uh, sunglasses that look like they were picked up at the CVS checkout line. Um, there's, a ca- there's a cameraman fiddling with his camera. I think it's like the high home camera. Uh, and it smells like popcorn. So uh, pretty much like every ballpark at uh, about three hours before the game. What about D.C.? Have you been there long enough to get a sense on whether or not they're pumped about the Nats right now? You know what? I got in this morning, uh, and and I really haven't been around. But it's weird. As I was checking in, uh, I'm at at a hotel near the ballpark, and the person in front of line uh, or in the line in front of me was lamenting the lack of, of, like, Joe Nats signage out there. So... Uh, I, I felt like uh, I felt like that sort of illustrated the way that they're they're looking at the Nats right now. Which uh, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I am. Uh, I just remember uh, the scores of people who were leaving the stadium during the 18 minute game a few years back, uh, and and I have trouble uh, getting that memory out of my head. You know what's crazy about about baseball playoffs is like we have this grinding regular season. It goes from April into October. It's 162 games. And when I was planning this week out, I was like, all right, I want to have Jeff on to talk about the playoffs. But I want the wild card games to pass because that that happens so quick that anything we say about that would be so dated so quickly. I was like, I'll get them on I'll get them on Thursday or Friday. And here we are Friday afternoon at 4:30 and like the Red Sox are already with their absolute backs against the wall. I, you know what? I think that the I think that the Red Sox were with their backs against the wall going into that series. Frankly, um, if there were if there were one series I had, if there was one series that I had confidence picking, it was Astros over Red Sox. And maybe you know maybe the Indians are going to prove me foolish for not thinking that uh, they had the distinct advantage over the Yankees as well. But I, I just felt like the. The Red Sox are a weird team, man. They, you know, I saw them in person in Game One, and they just did not feel like uh, a playoff team. And maybe that's because they were facing Verlander, and because that lineup uh, of the Astros has the ability to to make any team look like a Triple A team. But there, there was just there wasn't like that fervor there that generally accompanies playoff teams. And and I know I'm speaking. Uh, in total intangibles here, but sometimes you just get a sense, and I, I got that sense from the Red Sox pretty quickly. Do you get a sense that not enough was made of the addition of Verlander? Well, let's remember, Justin Verlander was not good for the first half of the year. Right. It only really had started picking things up uh, once the second half got good. So, I think that we were looking more for for a large sample uh, to to get a sense whether what he was doing in the second half was was real or at least close to real. And so much was going on in Houston. I mean, they traded for Verlander right in the aftermath of Harvey, and and I think a lot of our minds Good point. at that point were were all were almost on something other than baseball. Right, that this was an incidental thing. But the, it would be a lie to say that Harvey didn't factor in 
to the Astros' decision-making. It, it wasn't the impetus behind it, but when they were talking about it uh, internally, they certainly said, imagine what this is going to do for the city right now and the city needs it. And, and I think, you know, I don't think Justin, Justin Verlander didn't save the Astros' season by any means, but he makes them a hell of a lot better team in October than they would have been without him. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point about the hurricane. And and then we've seen I know David Simon, who I think is a brilliant a brilliant writer and, and, and makes incredible television, absolutely despises the notion that like the Saints and their run in two thousand six and their Super Bowl in two thousand nine was a huge part of the healing of that city. I disagree with him. Do you think that the Astros uh, and, and the hurricane and the way that sports can bring everyone together in a city, do you think that that gives them even a 3% edge versus a team that isn't going through something like that in their homes? Or could it even be working you know, against them in some way? Yeah, I, I, you know, I have trouble trying to quantify those types of things because I, I'd be lying if I said I understand how it affects every player there are so many things that as reporters we don't know that that to try and and project our own feelings of the situation on these players i think is disingenuous i think it's done frankly a lot in sports media uh i i just don't buy into that line of thinking i i do agree with you though that a, a successful sports team can be a salve for a city. I don't think it can heal a city necessarily. I don't think that uh, it can, you know, uh, remedy some of the, the fundamental issues that affect uh, every major metropolitan area right now. I don't think it's going to change the, the socioeconomics uh, of Houston in any way demonstrable. But the fact that people can bond over something and talk about something, I think on an everyday basis, that certainly can bring a, a modicum of peace to a place that might not exist otherwise. I, mean, I, I don't know if it's anything demonstrable. Uh, I don't know if it's anything tangible, but I think that it's something that people do feel. I, I know there wasn't any kind of catastrophe uh, a couple of years ago in Kansas City or anything like that, but did you get a sense uh, during that run that, you know, that the baseball team and as, as the playoffs built, that there was a sense of community that built as well in Kansas City? Or you know, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out if we overrate this notion in general or if uh, if there is something to it. Uh, it still exists. Yeah. Uh, I, I, have, I have no doubts about that, living in Kansas City and seeing that the Royals are something that people can talk about and bond over now. And you know what? I think human beings are always going to find something, and that's probably the point that David Simon's making, and that it just happens to be sports, plays into into our wheelhouse and our ideals that sports uh, really matters in society. But I, I, I truly do believe that that's the case, because I think it's one thing that, uh, just, listen, uh, we're, uh, I'm going to say about baseball that, uh, you know, race does it. Well, race does matter in baseball, but everyone can be a baseball fan. And uh, the amount of joy that the Kansas City Royals have brought to uh, the metropolitan area over the last five years or so uh, is immeasurable. And, and I think the city is 
it's not going to be a worse city when the Royals aren't good, but uh, there's certainly going to be something that feels like it's missing. And, you know, you can make an argument that when you don't have it, it's almost like longing for it brings you together mm-hmm. as a community mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in a very similar way to how winning brings the community together as well. Did you watch Treme, his show about New Orleans? Simon? I did not. Uh, I watched like an I watched like I watched like an episode or two, and my wife's like, "This is boring." <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I just still to this day can't believe that it didn't end with the uh, Super Bowl parade. But uh, anyway, uh, quickly, we'll kind of go through these teams and this playoffs a little bit. The Astros, as we talk, are nine outs or so away from a two nothing lead. Uh, I guess an easy question that will allow us to get through almost everyone before we have to go. If the Astros win this, not the series, but the World Series, uh, why? Oh, boy. We're taking some big leaps ahead here. Um, well, wh- uh, Okay, let's say I – mean, hold on. They- hold on. Let me back up. What makes them What makes them uh, a contender? Like, wh- what, what makes them a team that could win it is maybe a more fair question. Well, Line lineup and bullpen. Uh, their lineups. Their lineup is the best in the playoffs. Uh, if if anyone wants to argue with me on that, by all means, at me, and and you will be defeated. Um, <laughs> bull, bull, bullpen. Uh, there's just a lot. I mean, they have a lot of really good arms there, and you know, taking Joe Musgrove and and unleashing him in the bullpen and seeing what he does. Uh, has been huge for them because um, you add him to Chris Davinsky, who can give you multiple innings at a time, and, and to Will Harris, who hasn't been the same as he was last year, but uh, still is a, a legitimate, tangible relief arm. And Francisco Liriano has a chance to be a guy who can come in and dominate against left-handers, and Kent Giles uh, had one of the best second halves of any relief pitcher out there. And I mean, there's just a lot of things to like in the Astros' bullpen. They strike a lot of guys out. And name of the game in 2017 in baseball, I have a feeling I'm going to repeat this later on in our conversation. Home runs, strikeouts, relief pitching. Uh, that is how you win playoff games. And the team that can do that best uh, is going to be the team that wins the World Series. The Red Sox have three hits today. They're in danger of falling behind 0-2. If they did, do you give them... Do you give them a chance to come back? No, they're getting swept. Okay, then we're going to move on from them. Uh, let's talk a little bit about. The- <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have I would have said that by the way yesterday had I come on too. Fair enough. They, they Fair- just they're going to get swept, and I'll be very interested to see if John Farrell's managing there again next year. Fair enough. Let's move on to the Yankees and the Indians. Uh, the Yankees put on a power display in that in that wild card game that. That uh, that home run to make it three to three, the reaction of the stadium. I mean, I'm not a Yankees fan or a Yankees hater, but man, that was cool. I was like, wow, this, this is why I this is why I want the Yankees to be good every year because, man, that that yeah. was just a, it was a fun moment, you know. Like I could feel I could feel it on my couch somehow, you know. It was just awesome. Yeah, I you know what that I maybe I'm underestimating 2009, but that's really the first time. I felt like the new Yankee Stadium reminded me of the old Yankee Stadium. Oh, totally! I'm like totally was, with you on that. It was, it was, it was a really electric atmosphere, and 
I wondered if the, the sterility of that place had taken that away. And the answer is definitively no, because it was a great environment. Now, everything that was good about the Yankees was kind of on display in the wild card game, and kind of everything that's probably made them a wild card team was on display yesterday. I mean, you get the four strikeouts from Judge, and, uh, you know, it just wasn't a great. A great game. Maybe an argument you could make that they're going to have a tough time winning that game one against against an ace like that and in a stadium and a team that is a lot more battle-tested maybe than they are, if that's even a thing. But uh, you, you wrote about is how... Trevor, is, Trevor, is Trevor Bauer an ace now? Well, if not, they're in trouble because the ace is going today then, right? You know what I mean? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, He's, you know what though, he's a good matchup. Tom Verducci, I thought, wrote a really smart column about uh, what what the Indians personify uh, these days and how they're they're a tough matchup for the Yankees because they throw a lot of breaking balls. You've got uh, Bowers' curveball, which he's finally started commanding a little bit better, and you're going to have Kluber's. I, I, you call it a curveball; uh, it, it's almost more of a slurve. Whatever it is, it's disgusting and really difficult to hit right uh and you've got and you've got miller's slider and you've got allen's hard curve i mean there there are a lot of good breaking balls and they throw them a ton and there's a i mean there's a lot of evidence to back up the idea that if you spin the ball well then uh, you got a better chance to win and the yankees themselves in some ways personify that i mean the yankees i believe threw the fewest fastballs of any team in the majors this season yeah, you already talked about how important home runs are going to be in this playoffs. And with that, with the way the Yankees can hit home runs from top to bottom, we know they're going to have a chance here. Uh, let's just say that, that it doesn't work out for them for because we're, we're down to 11 minutes here. Uh, let's, let's, <laughs> let's focus on the Indians a, a little bit. This is a calculated risk I'm going to take. Well, one last thing about the, about the Yankees. If this doesn't, if this series doesn't work out for them, season was a success anyway, though, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think they, I think they've been, I think they've been a little ahead of the curve. And I said this, uh, I said this on the radio earlier this week. I almost feel like the Yankees are seventy percent of what they're going to be. You know, they've got right. a lot of money to spend, and they've got Glaber Torres coming, and they've got Miguel Andujar coming, and they've got. Uh, Esteban Floriel coming in. They've got Chance Adams coming. I mean, there are a lot of guys who are going to be coming up through that system to fill out whatever small holes they might have, they might have right now. And uh, they, they have a chance to be really good for a really long time. Is the possibility of the Indians and the Astros, the uh, Ali Frazier of the American League this year, just the – the the heavyweight. I'm excited. I'm excited, man, because I I think I'm probably going to be on the ALCS. Yeah. And uh, the notion of Indians Astros uh, tickles me. It really does. Um, I think they're the two best teams in baseball right now, and I think it is going to. I you know even even if you didn't say Ali Frazier, I feel like that's a heavyweight fight right there, and two teams that are pretty evenly matched, frankly. Um, Indians have a little more experience. Indians catch the ball a little better. Um, I think the bullpens are pretty even. I think the starting pitchers are pretty close to even. And Astros have a slight lineup advantage. So 
That's a, that is a seven-game series waiting to happen. You, you've had the opportunity to watch everyone play at least one game or see highlights or whatever. Everyone's played at least one game so far. Who are you picking to be in the World Series from the American League? I'm still going with the Indians, but I have uh, I, I don't have a high degree of confidence in that. I think I think their matchup against the Astros is like 51-49. Okay. And they, they, I, I think they are slightly better, but just ever so slightly. Is this the year that the Nationals can win a playoff series? Or we know they can. Is this the year they will? Is it probably a better question? I would have I would have said so a week ago. Um, then Max Scherzer got hurt, and he's not starting until Game Three. Right, and that's the hamstring. Changes the complexion of this. In, yeah, changes the complexion of this entire series. Um, if you have the possibility of Max Scherzer going twice, you're in pretty good shape. And, and this is no slight to, to Gio Gonzalez, who's going to be going in game two now, or to Steven Strasburg. Uh, but they ain't Max Scherzer. And I feel like the Cubs lineup uh, can handle them, frankly. I, I am watching Bryce Harper, like, line drive home runs and go off like, 425 feet during batting practice right now. So in the midst of this conversation, I might suddenly change my tune. Uh, <laughs> I, I just feel like... Even even though the, the Cubs aren't the Cubs of last year, I still feel like there there is something to what they've got, and uh, it would not at all shock me to see a rematch of the World Series from last year. What happened to the Dodgers? Like, if we would have done this in July, we would have been like, "Man, does anyone have a chance to beat this team?" Yeah, and I probably would have said no, which I'm glad we didn't record in July. Um, <laughs> I think their weaknesses were exposed. I think their bullpen is iffy. Um, I think that their lineup does not have uh, quite the thunder that some others might. And I think Clayton Kershaw got hurt. Yeah. And I know they were playing well when Kershaw was hurt. I understand that. That this stretch was when he came back. But he, he has not been the same guy that he was pre-entry. Now maybe he goes out tonight and you know throws seven shutouts and gives up two hits and strikes out 14. That that very easily could happen because it's like Kershaw. And I expect him to do great things at all times. And, and I don't think there's some sort of playoff curse or jinx or fallibility there. But uh, the Dodgers are not uh, this juggernaut that we saw. And I, I don't know that they're particularly well-constructed for the playoffs. Huh. There's almost nobody in baseball that I'd like to see get 14 strikeouts and two hits and a win than than Kershaw though. I I know he 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 sort of got some of the stink away last year. He was pretty good last year in the playoffs, but I still feel like that hangs over him a little bit. I'd love to see him dominate a playoff game, like oh, really uh, dominate. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah. That 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 defines him. I don't want to see him do it once. I'd love to see him do it four times. Me too. Yeah, yeah me just too. Just so people just so people will shut up. Fuck up yeah. about it. Oh, absolutely. God, like yeah. Gi- Giants fans are actually the worst, and I and I say this. I love the passion of Giants fans. I think Giants fans honestly might be the best fans in baseball. Like seeing how loud AT and T can get during a postseason game. Like they're awesome fans. Every time I write about how Kershaw is the best pitcher, they send me pictures of Bumgarner and say can't do it in the playoffs. Like <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Hasn't 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 done it in the playoffs is much different than can't do it in the playoffs. 
I, that's a distinction that I, I I feel like gets lost on a lot of people. I actually almost respect that though, in the sense that that's just all rivalry smack there. But I, I don't know; they believe I, that as much as they're just shitting on their rival, right? No, I think no? they do believe that. I <laughs> think they fund I think they. I think they fundamentally believe Madison Bumgarner turns into a superhuman once the calendar turns, and Clayton Kershaw should be back in AAA. I really do think they believe that. Yeah, I mean, I kind of believe that that Cam Newton got a bum rap, bum rap for not falling on that fumble in the Super Bowl, but man, will I bring it up all the time just because it's something that's out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like. Twenty-eight to three is going to be, you know. So I'm probably I will probably say that more times in the next ten years than almost any other sports-related uh, uh, thing, and it, it's rivalry talking. But um, uh, Aaron Judge is going to be uh, fun to watch in the playoffs if the, if if they can stick around. Uh, I love to watch. Uh, I love to watch him hit, whether it's a strikeout or a four hundred and. 75-foot home run. Give me – we'll finish on this. Give me two or three or four other guys that you're excited to watch uh, play in the playoffs this year. Uh, I saw Jose Altuve hit three home runs yesterday in person, which was pretty great. Uh, but, I, you know, George Springer to me is such a dynamic player. I love watching him. I love watching him on offense. I love watching him on defense. I love watching him run. I think he's one of those underappreciated superstars in baseball. Uh, same for Jose Ramirez. Uh, as, as dynamic as Francisco Lindor is, Ramirez is just like Ramirez. Don't get me wrong, Ramirez is really talented. But I think Lindor though is the, the pure talent. But Ramirez shows what can happen when you put together talent uh, and, and work hard. He's just like a ball player, man. Uh, Kershaw is going to be up there for me uh, as well. And I'm I, I'm not excited to watch Corey Seager. I'm interested to watch Corey Seager to see how uh, how healthy he is. Uh, and you know, I, John Lester's always a favorite of mine. And he's not pitching game one here against the Nationals. Uh, he's going to be uh, in game two against Gio Gonzalez with a chance to send the Cubs back home at the very least with a split, potentially up to a uh, big game guy. Loves the moment. Uh, looking forward to seeing him play as well. You have got to check out Let's Play 2. Uh, it's a documentary about Pearl Jam and the Cubs and uh, Eddie Vedder's relationship with the Cubs and anyone who likes baseball or music even a little bit. It's it's awesome. I watched it last night. It's it's fantastic. Uh, and do they do they have any do they have any footage from Theo Epstein's uh, World Series party? Not his party, but Theo's all over it. Okay, I just heard some great Eddie Vedder stories from that party. Oh, I mean the Eddie Vedder sto- <laughs> the Eddie Vedder stories from last October are like a thing of legend, and I mean he he lived last October. I feel like, uh, but um, listen, I usually don't bother you so quickly, but when this ends, I'm gonna get back to you because I want you to come back because I feel like we have a bunch of stuff we have to talk about in terms of baseball and the nonsense we usually talk about to ignore baseball that we didn't get a chance to today. So I'm going to get back to you in November sometime, and, and we got to spend another 30 or 40 minutes talking about other shit. I look forward to that. That will be fun, and uh, I promise I will uh, give you all the time in the world. Then. Real quick uh, World Series prediction. Uh, Indians over Cubs. Thanks, buddy.
Good talking with you, pal. Take care. Alright, I want to thank the great Jeff Passan and Kyle Brandt for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can hear Jeff, Kyle, and all our guests from all of our previous shows on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Tweet me, please, anytime at sports underscore casters, and you can email me at thesportscasters at gmail.com. I produce a podcast called the Motivation Through Music Podcast with someone I grew up with named Matt Sabalski, and we talk about music. We go through his best-selling book, Find My Playlist. Uh, if you're interested in that, please follow us on Twitter at M through M Pod. With all that said, uh, one last thing for today uh, before we get out of here. Uh, busy music week uh, for Anthony and I. Uh, last night we went and seen uh, the new Pearl Jam documentary uh, called Let's Play 2. And man, Pearl Jam should have more things at the movie theater. That was so fun. We had such a great time uh, there watching the movie. Uh, the movie was great. Uh, the first song played in the movie is Low Light. Uh, and I was actually there the first time Pearl Jam ever played Low Light. Uh, just so many... It was just so cool. I mean, it's a theater full of Pearl Jam fans enjoying Pearl Jam. And I was there with my brother, which was important to me. Uh, he had had a little bit of uh, an appendicitis scare the day before. He thought that maybe his was on the outs. And of course, with the family history and the fact that my appendix basically ruined my life, I will admit to you all that I panicked a little bit. Uh, you know, one reason I've been able to handle all the health issues in my life kind of in stride is because I felt in some strange way like it's a burden that I have so that my brothers don't have to have it. And uh, if any of them or either of them uh, had a struggle that way, I don't know. I don't know if I would ever be able to handle it uh, the way I do or as well as I do or whatever the case may be. But luckily, it was just uh, it was just nothing. And uh, he was able to to walk out in, in just a couple hours, and we were able to go see the movie together. Um, and and it was amazing. It was amazing to uh, to look over and see my brother, and know that he was with me there, uh, supporting one of my passions. And to see that it's one of his passions now too is amazing. And I hope that now that I have a daughter, that she will be uh, possibly interested. And some of my passions, and I hope that I can be interested in hers, uh, because there's nothing like being able to share something you love uh, with someone you love. Uh, and tomorrow, my brother Anthony and I are going to go down to UB. They play at 3:30 in the afternoon. We could care less about UB football, but uh, by the grace of God, at 1:30, uh, they're having a concert, and it's a band that we both love called Better Than Ezra, who's from New Orleans. I think they're one of the most Underrated bands in the 90s. Uh, and Anthony and I will be out there bright and early to see Better Than Ezra. 
Uh, they're one of the great live bands, too. So if you ever get a chance, uh, check them out. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Uh, Don and I, back next week. That you never caught Where they turned out your life